I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. This week's episode is the second in our series of live interviews that we conducted while at MMA Impact. We had a great time networking with mobile marketing leaders at the event and had the opportunity to sit down with some of the attendees to talk about how they think about mobile strategy in their organization, what's working in their business, and where they think the future of mobile is headed. Today, I'm joined by Rochelle Hardigan. Rochelle is the leader of brand and national advertising for GE Lighting, responsible for branding, creative content development, and national consumer advertising. She advocates for well-placed ads and promotions paired with exceptional storytelling to help consumers make the most of their product buying experience that serves to improve their daily lives. She's also previously worked for major brands such as Vitamix, Our Pets Company, Joanne Fabrics, and more. In this episode, Rochelle and I talk a lot about how her career in marketing evolved and the major role she's playing at GE Lighting today, the importance of being true to your brand while also pushing it forward, and why it's actually okay to fail. And make sure you stick around to the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about mobile differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Rochelle. So you have a really impressive background. Can you tell me how you got started in marketing? Sure, yeah. So I I actually started my career in retail, on the retail side of the business. So my first job out of college was with the Sherwin-Williams Company. Um, and I moved my way through a couple retailers. A, a very small chain at the time was called Sesame Street Stores was my next move. Oh, wow. And then eventually into the corporate offices of Joanne Fabric and Craft Stores, if you know those. Yes, I do. Your mother probably dragged you there when you were a little kid and you sat among bolts of fabrics and waited for her to be done shopping. But And now I do that to my children. Yes, right? Or you, cra- you make scrapbooks and jewelry. Yeah. yeah, so that was... But what I learned through that was I had a really... A strong love for the retail environment and for the consumer marketplace. So when I felt like I had learned what I wanted to learn in retail, I moved out to the brand side of the business and I joined a small pet product company, which was a really interesting experience. And they were sort of learning their way into how to be more relevant in retail. So it was a, it was a good bridge for me to take the, all the experience that I'd had from years of being behind the scenes and the retail side of the business yeah. into branding and then found my way to a couple bigger brands. So the first was Vitamix Blenders, which was a really interesting journey to a, a brand that's become so iconic and so um, aspirational. And then GE came calling and I've been there for the past five years and the, ch- the chance to be part of such a big, important brand in the industry was was very tempting and has been very fun and a good journey. So. So that's sort of been my my path. I love that. So tell me about what all you do at GE. Sure. So I lead branding and advertising. So um, we run very lean. I guess I'll say that. So <laughs> the importance for us of having good partners out there in the industry is important. So I lead our package development, the messaging around any product that we're either developing or currently have in the marketplace. Um, and then on the advertising side of that, it's how we talk to our consumers about about all our good technologies and products and, and how we engage them through the journey of the path to purchase from, from the very high level awareness all the way to that point when they're standing at the shelf and making a decision about what they're going to buy. So that's, that's my role in the company. That's awesome. It's a lot of things. And I can see how your experience has really made you probably super exceptional at being able to do all of those things. It was good training for sure. And I think part of the the reason my role has evolved into what it is, is that I had a lot of that background of understanding retailers, understanding the different aspects of going to market and taking products to consumers. So it prepared me well. Yeah. So it's been fun. You've seen a lot in your career and you've had a variety of experience. So how... Has marketing changed over the last 
10, 15 years that you've seen? So I think, you know, in, in a couple of really important ways, one is just the way consumers come to find out about products, you know? So I think we used to rely both as consumers and as marketers, right? We relied a lot on just seeing advertisements. Media was sort of our, our a way to become aware of some new product or some new solution for our life. But that's changed quite a lot too. There are influencers who are talking mm -hmm. to us through things like social media and blogs that, that didn't exist before. And, um, you know, there are ways to, um, to catch a consumer right in the moment when they're going to make a purchase, when they're standing in the aisle. And, and aside from what used to be just in-store signage, we can do that in various ways now mm -hmm. through their phone, through other types of technologies that, that have really evolved. So with all of these changes that you've seen, what is the biggest challenge that's facing marketers today? Yeah, so I think there are, again, a few, right? We've got... Um, I wish there was just one, right? <laughs> I know. I think they're getting messages from so many different places that it's becoming easy to ignore mm -hmm. the messages we want them to hear. So we have to really think and be thoughtful about how we reach a consumer so that it can still be a meaningful engagement. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges out there. You know, and certainly just competitors are, are able to, to talk and develop in ways that they hadn't been able to mm -hmm. before. So, you know, small brands can be just as vocal as a big brand, right? And, and, and use many of the technologies that um, it's sort of leveled that playing field that we have to be innovative. And a big brand is certainly a good advantage to have and it builds a lot of trust, um, but it also means that we have to work hard to keep it and keep our shopper. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up smaller brands because I think sometimes where they have a competitive advantage is their willingness to try anything. Sure, yeah. And be a little bit more bold sometimes that because they're still figuring out what their brand is. Right. Whereas when you're a trusted brand, you have expecta consumer expectations. So it ha right. you know, thinking about the brand voice, which you probably think about all the time, is so important. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point too. And I think where we probably have challenged ourselves to push those boundaries mm -hmm. is in the ways that we reach out so that we don't think we just, we don't have to play it safe. We have to be true to our brand and true to, to our voice, as yeah. you say. Um, but we can be innovative in the ways that we mm -hmm. reach out to. We can think scrappy like a yeah. small startup would. You know, we have a lot of, of innovative and interesting products that, that fit into that environment so well. So it makes sense that we play there too. So thinking about mobile strategy at GE, how do you figure out what to do? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question, right? <laughs> so I think one of the things that's important as we, mobile is a piece of everything else that we do. And so I think what I, when we set out on a journey, like if we're launching a new product or we have a new initiative that we're supporting and, and we're reaching out to consumers for whatever that mission or strategy, mobile becomes a, an important part of our mix. And it's just one of how, one of the ways that we have to reach out. So, you know, we can, we can talk to shoppers in a variety of different ways, whether it's through influencers or it's through our own website or through print or through um, television. You know, all of those are part of the process and, and mobile has to be an important part of that consideration so that we think about the power of what um, mobile marketing can do. So whether it's reaching a person who's sitting in their home and surfing the web or looking at social media to someone who's standing in the aisle, mobile is really part of that experience and yeah. the entire journey of making a purchase. So we're very um, conscious to consider all of the elements of where mobile is in that journey. How do you think about bringing them all together? 
So right now, as people call it, multi-channel, omni-channel, there's a variety of words for it. Yeah. But how do you think about making sure that you're communicating with consumers across every channel, but then also having some cohesion to what that message looks like, what that brand feels like? So it feels like one whole experience versus a fragmented one. Yes. I heard this recently that um, someone said that, you know, that omni-channel is sort of becoming a a term that that maybe we'll stop using in a few years and it's kind of about (laughs) it's more about you know like finding the moments that matter to a consumer no matter where they are so i sort of liked that approach that rather than having a term it was just you know just think about the moments where we can engage with a with a shopper or with the consumer for whatever that initiative might be so i think it's an important part of what we do to to keep our creative and and we talked earlier a little bit yeah. about the importance of being true to a brand so so whether we're talking about the GE brand as a whole or some initiative like a campaign or a mm-hmm. launch strategy so we really define up front what that messaging and what our mission and our our statements are going to be to the consumer and once we really define that then we start to lay it into all the different ways that we're going to reach a, a shopper in their using the term journey, but I'm going to keep using that. So we know that sometimes our initiative is really just to build awareness. If it's mm-hmm. something that's brand new, a new technology to the marketplace, we're working a lot, for example, right now on the smart and connected home with our C by GE brand. And so when we're launching and just building a brand and still getting the basic consumer to understand why smart or connected home might be a solution for them and how it actually is a solution yes right so some of it is not about talking about our product at all but it's about how our product can integrate into this thing that can this big intangible thing that can sort of change the way you live and so when we start to message to that it it becomes how we define how we work in all of our channels of communication so whether it's again our website or any of our media or any of our mobile outreach or even all the way down to the signs that we print in store that has to be a unified and complete cohesive message so that the shopper and the consumer who's just trying to get their arms around what this even means continues to see the same message. Well, especially since when you mentioned in store, a lot of times what I find myself doing is when I'm trying to make a decision and I don't necessarily have product that I'm 100% committed to buying yet. I'm doing almost doing like my research kind of like in store. The first thing I do is I pull out my phone yes, and I try and figure out what is the internet going to tell me to do? Yeah, right. So how do you think about, when we talked about moments in the customer journey, making sure that in that moment, when Stephanie's standing in the store at Lowe's, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do, yep. that she's thinking about G. Well, I think there are a few things. So part of that can be the experiences that we build on our own our own channels, right? So yep. whether that's our website and its its mobile capabilities, we work hard and um, diligently with our retail partners to make sure that the experience on their site is also worthy of the product that we're trying, yep. the message that we're trying to um, to portray. So. We work with the tools that they offer us to either build out enhanced content to help to get our product into the hands of consumers early before it even launches so that you standing in the store can make a decision based on what other consumers have rated a product or done a review. So again, a very important part of that mobile shopping experience. So I think those are a couple that we we really focus on um, that I think help to make the, the consumer understanding a little easier as they as you go through that process and stand in front of that daunting aisle with a feet and feet and feet of, of options yes so you mentioned influencers yes 
should I assume that you guys are actively using influencers in your marketing today? Yeah, so we, um, depend, again, depending on what, what our project is, um, we definitely look to influencers to be an important part of reaching consumers. We know that they have um, a valuable voice to a lot of people. So, you know, there are influencers with big reach and there yes. are influencers that we, we kind of term the micro influencer mm -hmm. and all are so important. They have different, different levels of ability to mm -hmm. influence the decision of a consumer and even just to make them aware of something that's a solution. I think they also bring this great value in that they kind of do this show and share. So something that you see just sitting in a box is not nearly as meaningful as when you watch someone who's maybe installed it in their home or showing you how they live with it or sharing ways that it's created solutions for them. So that, that value is, is really important, especially when we're doing something new and different. I completely agree. I, one of the things I love that you mentioned micro influencers because I think that's one thing that people overlook a lot. Yeah, is a lot of times they look at the ones that have the biggest following, but I think as a consumer, I look at the ones that are not as large. Yeah, because they're typically the ones that feel the most authentic to me and relatable. Yeah, and the ones that I pay the most attention to. And sometimes they're the ones who have a specific point of view yes. too. So they may not be necessarily appealing to the masses, so to speak, right? Yep. But they have a really specific thought or um, hobby or lifestyle that's really relatable to to someone that we're trying to reach, and that's so important. No, I completely agree. So how do so when you're doing all all of your marketing, you're thinking about the brand overall. How do you manage effectiveness? How do you know what's working and what's not working? Yeah, so we test and try a lot. I would laugh a little when I think about that. The um, <laughs> Some of our agency partners that we, you know, our tactics and our strategy and our outreach changes quite a lot. And what works, we repeat. What doesn't, we, we pivot and do something different. We look at, of course, the standard KPIs, right? We want to measure who we're reaching, if we're able to um, get engagement with the right consumer. We look for um, for ways that we can deliver custom messaging to the right shopper. So, you know, we all set down this journey with... Um, there are different consumers who want the same kind of product. So if we can reach them with a message that makes sense to them and, and do that effectively and know we're hitting the right demographic with the right kind of message so that it's not one one consistent piece of creative that's reaching every every potential buyer, every potential shopper for us, um, that's an important way for us to reach out as well. So thinking about technology, channels, I think one of the things that marketers struggle a little bit with is there's so many, I like to call them shiny objects. Yeah, there's always a new sure. shiny object. And how do you figure out like what you test and innovate with, what's worth that time, Yeah. and also what is a distraction? Because we can get easily, I think as a marketer, overwhelmed by the number of options and distracted by the wrong things and not focusing on the things that are evolving and innovative that are really going to drive the business? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are so many different things too. Part of that, and I'll just be really transparent when I say this, part of it is having good partners mm -hmm. who are really experts in vetting out some of those things and sharing, you know, here's what we saw another brand be successful. And, you know, so, so some of it is that. We do test a lot. So I like a shiny object, you know, sometimes it's really, there's value in trying something that even you have a little bit of doubt. And if we can try it on a small scale, 
And then if it works, then roll it out. If it doesn't, then it was it was still great investment because we learned so much. So um, so I, I don't shy away from all shiny objects, but we also evaluate where they are in our mix. So we know we have, you know, again, depending on the strategy, like right now we're really talking about the connected home and our C by GE brand. And a lot of our mission is just to get the consumer to understand what it means and how they can change their lifestyle by just adapting a certain type of product into their, into their world. And so when our initiative is about education and awareness, we look at a very different set of tactics than when our mission is really focused on like just get feet in the aisle and boxes and carts, you know? So so I think as long as something fits our mix, then it's it's worthy of evaluating and considering and possibly testing and trying, so. How do you think about failure from a marketing perspective? So you test yeah. something and you typically, when you test something, you have high aspirations sure. and usually goals. and. I think one of the things that I've seen that digital, especially digital marketers struggle a lot with is not everything works as we think it should. Things that work for yeah. one brand, we yep. do for us. And then we're like, but they're like me. And that was an epic failure. Yes, right. And so how do you get comfortable with that in an organization where that is, you know, metrics driven and yeah. ROI is so important? How do you balance testing and innovation with driving results at the same time? Yeah, I think we go in with the mindset that it's okay that there are going to be some things that fail. We know that not every tactic and new new shiny object is going to be successful, right? It's There are going to be some that just don't deliver what we thought they would. Yeah. And that's okay. I think it certainly hurts my heart when it's our, you know, it was a, a part of my budget that I could have put into something else. But the risk was, what if it turned out great? And sometimes, and quite often, it really does. So yeah. it's worth the risk to, to put a little bit of investment, a little bit of effort and energy into something new that could turn into something really good. So it hurts, but, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's sort of a good a good hurt and you learn fast yes. and then pivot you know that's a, I think that's a GE tenant which is you know fail fast and pivot was something that they they said to us many years when I first started I remembered that one which was it's good there's this environment where we go out and learn and test and try things because you don't know what you might succeed in but if you if it's not working stop and, and turn around pretty quickly just don't linger in it I think that's so important because one of the things to me that I get most excited about from a marketing perspective, just with technology and just digital in general, is you can fail fast. You can test stuff. And you can... you can learn and stop. And I think back to, you know, when I started my career 15 years ago, and we were so heavy focused in print and TV, I had to get it, like, perfect. Or it, it, like, and it existed for, like, months or whatever that run was and that buy was. And it was very hard to not be a perfectionist about it. And now I'm not saying I'm not a perfectionist because I kind of still am, if we're being <laughs> honest. But I think the difference is, is you can test out, I tell them like the crazy ideas or the innovative things that push you a little bit and have the ability to say, okay, is this working? Is it not working? If it's not working, what should I do next? Should I, is, it a bad, is it a bad idea? Is it a bad channel? Is it a bad shiny object? Or do I need to think about it differently? That's that's a great point, too. And just the transition of all the, the types of media that we have to use has made that a little easier to fail, right? Yes. So if you were putting all your all your budget into that Super Bowl ad, you, right? it was 30 seconds and it had and it to was be one the day. best 30 seconds and it was millions invested, right? Well, you know, you're spreading this aco- across different digital technologies and, and you can pull the plug. Really, you know, any it's time. not working. Yeah. I mean, the lead times are much, much shorter and the flow of data is fast, right? 
that's, I always tell people it's so different now because I could spin up ads on Google in an hour. Yeah. I could run them for a couple hours and then if they're not working, I can take them down. Yes. And it's just, it's a different world. And you can get instant feedback. You know, you can do studies and, you know, surveys and, and there are all sorts of little tools to, to learn quickly mm -hmm. also. Right. So if you had a crystal ball and you had to think about what the future of mobile looks like and the future of marketing in general yeah. over the next five to 10 years, where do you think we're headed? Yeah, it's, that's a tricky one. I think I, I want to say that we have to be aware of the power of these voice assistants in people's mm, lives, yeah. right? So we talk daily to Alexa and to Google and to Siri, and there's going to be something there that, that they start talking back to us in some way, or they they make decisions for us become because they become that intuitive to yes. our lifestyle. So I'll be interested to see what happens with the voice assistant. I think that's one. I think mobile devices are also evolving too. Mm -hmm. So from from our phone, which everyone is still, you know, it's pretty much glued to our hands. Yes. Um, in this moment, I happen to not have mine, but <laughs> usually it's right there. And I'm, I'm, the same way. I'm looking at your okay. wrist in front of me, which has an Apple Watch, right? So that's an that's a new kind of mobile experience, and not new anymore, really. But so I went. I'm curious to know what's coming next yes. in that way, and how we'll be able to leverage those technologies to reach the consumer. But I think in general. I, if I had to put my one stake in the ground for my crystal ball prediction, it would be that it's going to be much more intuitive than it is today. We're still in a world where we're delivering messages and consumers respond. And I suspect that there will come a time where we're, we're able to just influence and, um, and make decisions. And, and those technologies will do that because they know the consumer that they're supporting so well. That would be ideal. Yes. That would be the ideal state. I love talking to other brilliant marketers, hearing their perspectives, and really being able to share all that information with all of my listeners. But it's an even greater personal highlight when I get the opportunity to talk to other female marketing leaders that are truly dominating their industry. And Rochelle is definitely one of those types of marketers. I could honestly talk to her for hours if she had the time. Now, let's get to my favorite part of the show where we take the education and apply it to your business. There are so many great insights from my conversation with Michelle that can really transform how you think about mobile marketing. Let's dive into my top three takeaways. First, we can't underestimate the importance of having strong partner relationships. This means both technology partners and agency or freelance partners. I know there can be an ongoing internal battle, and I've been in this situation where whether or not you have the resources in-house or do you contract those out with a partner. I know there are times where we've all faced this, myself included, and there are times where I've chosen to bring the resource in-house, and there are also just as many times where I've chose instead to partner with someone. And part of that decision is based on budget, if we're being honest, what I'm trying to accomplish and so forth. But I think one aspect that sometimes we forget in that conversation that we might have internally with ourselves is the value that partners can bring us from their outside perspective. And I'm not just talking about creative ideas for our brands because they're not just so close to it that sometimes they can see the bigger picture. I'm talking about the trends that they can expose us to. They know what's happening in the industry. They know what other brands are doing, what's working, what's not working, the latest tech and so forth. And there isn't really a dollar value you can put on that type of information and guidance. So it's often overlooked by us when we're thinking about what value a partner can provide. It can be especially valuable when you're at a larger organization and you're leading the marketing team because sometimes it's really hard to keep a pulse on what other startups in your industry are doing. 
And if your partners that you have currently aren't bringing you this type of information on a regular basis, then it's time to seriously evaluate who you're working with. Your partner should be continually challenging you to expand your horizons, push your brand forward in a really productive way. If they're not, it's seriously time to say thank you next. Next, raise your hand if you absolutely loved hearing Rochelle talk about how failure is okay and the importance of learning to fail fast and pivot. I know I absolutely did. So many of us are so focused on driving results that we almost become terrified about not delivering results for every single thing that we do. I like to call it the perfectionist syndrome and I've suffered from it in the past. We're all driven by hitting targets and wanting to deliver perfection that we sometimes prevent ourselves from challenging the status quo and trying new things. And this might mean that you think more like a startup, even when you're a fortune 500 or fortune 100 organization. So you're going to need to get comfortable with knowing that everything you do is not going to always succeed. And that's okay. It's okay, everyone, because you're still going to learn something from it. That's going to influence you and something else that you do in your marketing efforts. It's going to be rare when you don't actually learn something valuable from a failure, no matter how small that failure is. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, there's absolutely no way I can get my boss on board with accepting failure. That's a lost cause. I get it, trust me. But you have to have the freedom to test and learn, which sometimes means you're gonna see phenomenal results that you can scale, and other times you're gonna fail miserably. And I get that some organizations talk about testing, but when they talk about testing, it's really like, can I change the shop now button from green to red, and will that drive increased conversions? That's testing, yes, but that's not testing new innovative approaches. So in order to get your boss and really your entire organization, because that's really the linchpin to all of this, comfortable with testing new and innovative ideas, you've got to set expectations clearly from the very beginning. And the best way to do that is to allocate a portion of your budget and resources to innovation. As Scott Brinker said in a couple of podcast episodes before, you should be allocating approximately 15 to 20% of your budget towards innovation. And once you've done that, you need to tell everyone, and I mean everyone, that you don't expect these tests to drive bottom line impacts. My husband likes to say this is setting a bar of low expectations, and he's right. It also goes against most of what arts marketers are used to doing, but it's what makes a clear difference from the beginning. Because if you make it clear that you're not expecting these tests to have a meaningful impact on results, and instead you're using them to truly learn, that's going to change the perception of how people view it. And that means that you're going to be able to get people clearly from the beginning, not to expect phenomenal results. So if something does fail quickly, it becomes okay. Now it's also super, super important that you're not afraid to walk away. And sometimes that means quickly from a test that's not working out. And I know there's a balance between, have I given it enough time to really know if it doesn't work versus it's definitely been enough time and it's not working. I know that can be hard to figure out sometimes, but once you feel like you've had enough time to test something and it's not working, turn it off. Don't keep waiting. Finally, let's talk about my favorite topic, shiny objects. We all know them. We've all been distracted by them, but how do we know when we're supposed to pay attention to them and when they're nothing more than a flash in the pan? Because let's be honest, if we try every single shiny object out there, we will never get our day job done and it's going to be frustrating. And this is an area where partners, like I said earlier, can really help play a role because they might have the ability to vet some of these shiny objects that you hear about. But if you don't have that type of resource, then it's really on your shoulders. So let's talk through how to best determine if you should chase a shiny object. For starters, there should be no chasing. 
So let's not chase shiny objects. Instead, let's think objectively about each opportunity that comes to us. And that could be a creative idea or a technology that might work for us. How quickly can you implement a test without creating any major disruption to your business? And this includes ideas or tech that you may not think right away would be a good fit. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you should try everything out there. That's crazy. But if you keep hearing from other people, hey, this channel or this concept is working for us and you don't think it's going to work great for your brand, but you don't have any data to support it. What's the harm in testing it just to see, especially if it's not that big of a lift. Now, here's my mobile marketing challenge for the week. Name one idea or technology that you've heard about, but haven't had a chance to try it yet. Got it? Great. Now I want you to implement a small test with it next week. I'm not talking about some sort of strategic initiative. I'm talking about a small test. Let's start up style people and let's see what happens. You might be surprised by the results and worst case, you might actually learn something. I'm Stephanie Cox and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit limovate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices and all things mobile.